Today's episode is brought to you by Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast, where we interview those from our Michigan community who answered the call of leadership. We'll hear their amazing stories and get their powerful advice. I am your host, Cliff Duvenois. Joining me in studio today is my producer, Miranda Urbanzik. And today, I have to admit, I'm actually a little bit lost for words. I really don't know how to describe my guest today because he really has inspired me beyond words. He proudly served in his country in the U.S. Armed Forces until he had what he calls a bad day at the office, and it literally turned his world upside down. And fortunately for all of us, his personality is larger than anything that life could throw at him, and his story is even larger. He's been featured on Fox News, CNN, The Ellis DeGeneres Show. Mike Rowe featured him on his Facebook show called Returning the Favor. He and his wife run a foundation where recalibrated veterans and families can go and enjoy outdoor activities and bond with other veterans. Loving father, devoted husband, and I just love this guy's sense of humor, his spirit, his attitude. And if I do not stop, I'm going to go all fanboy on him. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Travis Mills. Travis, how are you? Oh, thanks for having me. What a wonderful introduction. Um, I think you forgot I'm addicted to Philly cheesesteaks, as long as you add bacon, pepper jack cheese, and jalapenos, and cheesecake is my downfall. So as great of the accolades you just listed off, I need to lose weight is what I'm trying to get to. So are you like a big fan of the Cheesecake Factory? You know I am. Are you kidding me? I could go in there. (laughs) I live in Maine. It's very remote and rural compared to like a big city of like Dallas. Like Reese? Anything like that. Well, like Reese, right, right. So the Cheesecake Factory, I don't think there isn't there there isn't even one in Maine. So I, like I'm lucky there, but I'm not picky. I'll take the variety pack from the local grocery store that has the turtle, the peanut butter, chocolate, the chocolate, and the regular with the strawberry <laughs> on it. But anyway, I know we're not here to talk about food. I'm just letting you know that Philly cheesesteaks are my downfall as well. All right, cool. So if I have to bribe you, I know how to do it. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, before I jump into my questions, I have to say this on behalf of everyone who listens to the show. Thank you for your service. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I'm glad that you uh, have a show that people listen to and are tuning in and I hopefully can do good for you and we'll have a fun time today. Yes, I'm really looking forward to it. And for the four people out there who don't know who you are, uh, why don't you tell the audience where you're from, where you grew up? Oh, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. I am from the great town Oh, I guess it's city, actually, of Vassar in Vassar, Michigan. You know, I grew up there. I'm the favorite child of my parents' three. And, (laughs) you know, how it all happened, well, they fell in love, got married. Then they decided to have one kid that wasn't me. And then they had another one that was me. Then they tried to duplicate me because they got it right the second time and they couldn't. So anyway, um, like I said, I'm from Vassar. I have my parents and my, my two other siblings. Grew up there my whole life until 18 and then joined the military. Speaking of which, and I got to ask this question, what what motivated you to join the military in the first place? Well, in truth, I was going to college. I was only going to college in Grand Rapids community to play football. I didn't care about anything else as, you know, one would probably need to care about school and stuff like that. So I was racking up debt, <laughs> not really enjoying my classes. And there weren't even classes that counted towards anything. So I decided that. It was time for me to move on. I wanted to get some adventure and I broke it down between the Marines and the army, what I was going to do next. And when I went to the Marines and talked to them, 
you know, it sounded good. I went to the Army. They offered me $24,000 signing bonus. And I went to the Marines, and asked about their signing bonus. And the guy said, you get honor, duty, and respect. And I said, that's great. But I'm talking cash money. And <laughs> he had no answer for that. So I was like, what idiot would join that branch of service? And then we all know <laughs> how dumb Marines are. So all of them. But uh, anyway, I'm just kidding, obviously. But so I joined the Army. <laughs> showed me airborne infantry video, and I was hooked. And I learned how to, you know, jump out of airplanes and kick bad guys in the face and uh, ended up at Fort Bragg eventually, home of the 82nd Airborne Division. I know that you documented this in your book. I also know that it's part of the movie, uh, Travis Mills, A Soldier Story, plug, plug. Tell us about your experience in the military that has propelled you onto this new path that you're on right now. Well, absolutely. So when I was in the military, my first deployment I went for 15 months and I got to lift a lot of weights and do a lot of patrols and come back and um, work for a colonel, which was a really cool job. So I got to see a lot of mission stuff, but I also got the chance to, you know, live a cush life, if you will, like on a base that had internet access and phones and weight rooms. And while I was over there the first time, I met my wife, who was my medic's little sister. I never met her before, like in person, but we started talking on MySpace Messenger and decided we wanted to hang out. She was 18 in college and I was 20. So the only logical thing was we should probably just head to Mexico for a week when I come home for 18 days. So I flew into Dallas to pick her up and our first date was to Mexico. <laughs> and then after we went to Mexico, we went back to Michigan for a week, back overseas I went and I came home when we got married shortly after. You know, was at Fort Bragg still. I did a second deployment and on that deployment, I lived in the middle of nowhere. I took four showers in one year. I <laughs> A lot more firefights and grenades getting thrown and um, stuff like that. And then on the way back home, after my year-long deployment, uh, we bought a house together. And we found out we were going to have a baby four months after I got home, which is exciting. And then my daughter was born in 2011, just you know, two months or three months shy of me deploying again for my third time. So you know, everything was going pretty well for me in the military. And I deployed for a third time to Afghanistan as a staff sergeant. And when I was over there... I happened to set my backpack down on a patrol on, a, on top of a bomb. And when the bomb went off, it took my right arm, right leg off automatically. They never found those pieces of me. And then eventually my left leg and left arm got amputated as well during the surgeries. It was a pretty rough day at work, to say the least. But after nine doctors and seven nurses worked on me for 14 hours, they were able to get me stable but critical. That time I was a triple amputee. But two days after that, I had to have my left arm amputated the rest of the way. And then on April 14th, they woke me up for the very first time on my birthday, actually, out of a medical sedation. And I found out that I was not only 25 that day, but also a quadruple amputee. What, and I know you probably get asked this a lot, especially right now with everything that's going on in the country. And there are people out there that are really struggling. What is it, what is it that really pulled you through that time? Because, man, I, I just could not envision what it is that you were going through at that time. Absolutely. So I think the biggest thing for me was my daughter. I mean, I woke up in the hospital and had no idea what was going on. When I woke up, my brother-in-law was the only one in the room in Lodgeville, Germany, and told me what happened. And I didn't want to talk to my parents. I didn't want to call you know, my wife and have a conversation about like, well, I got no arms and legs now. What are we going to do? But when I arrived at the hospital on the 17th of April in 2012, um, my wife came out and they had to give her a clipboard to cut my right leg two inches higher. So the first thing that she saw when she talked to me 
was a clipboard in her face saying Mrs. Mills, his right leg is ripped open, his suture split. Um, we have to cut two inches off his right leg or he'll bleed out and die. But we can't do that until you actually sign this waiver because you're now in charge of his medical care. So, you know, you'd see the, the Hallmark movie post or whatever where they run to each other and she hugs me and says she'll love me forever. But in, in reality, she ran to me. They gave her a clipboard. She almost fainted. She was so, like, overcome with, like, you know, just what the heck. Um, and I had to yell, like, hey, just sign the clipboard. It's cool. Like, it's fine. So they signed the clipboard. They took me in. They cut my leg two inches higher. And the next day I saw her and I kind of just laid it out like, hey, look, you're 23. I'm 25. We have a six-month-old little girl. Um, this is not a life I would choose for you. Financially, whatever we have is yours. House, cars, saved up money. And I will give you everything I can, but this is not what you need to do. Like, you don't have to be here for this. I'm not going to be a burden on you. Because, you know, in my head during those, um, I guess, four days from being conscious to seeing her and having a real conversation, I have questions in my head. Like, am I a bad person? You know, what I do wrong in life? Like, does God hate me? How can I be a husband and a father? Like, how am I not going to be a burden on people? And in truth, you know, I am sure you know this, um, but maybe the listeners don't. My biggest question was, why didn't I just die? You know, not that I was suicidal, not that I wanted to die, but how is this going to be better than just dying? And, you know, my wife stepped up and she's like, that's how this works. We'll get through this together. So at 23, you know, she made the decision that she was going to stick around and she was going to help me get back to whatever our new normal was going to be. So there's a lot of, um, admiration and thankfulness I have for how great my wife was in that situation and still is today going forward, you know, on our 12th year of marriage uh, coming up this June. Congratulations on that, by the way. Oh, thanks. Before it was obligation because everybody was going to um, judge her if she left. And now it's my social media because <laughs> I would make her life pretty miserable if she left. You know, it's, it's that whole, you know, downfall of uh, standing with social media. I'm just kidding, obviously. Yeah, because I listened to the audio version of your book, Tough As They Come, and I have to admit, I really got choked up in there when you shared what your wife wrote in her journal after after you told her that she should leave, and she wrote in her journal, Tell Death Do Us Part, and that really choked me up. I actually had hit the pause button there for a second, wiped the tears from my eyes, so she sounds like she's an incredible woman. Oh, absolutely, and it's funny because she says that in her sleep sometimes, but then I'll find her with a pillow over my face. It's it's weird because she like snaps out of it like she wasn't really awake and I'm like I don't know you know no, I'm just kidding I'm sorry I like to keep things light I get awkward when it's serious time and I apologize for that um, so I'll try to tell a joke so you like me at a funeral it's just oh gosh it's awful really yeah <laughs> I'm not heartless I just don't do well in serious situations if I can't make light of it or put people at ease I feel like I'm doing a disservice so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's really part of your personality. I mean, I remember the first time I came across you, it was uh, it was actually a Fox News and you were being interviewed and I was completely stunned at just how powerful that your that your sense of humor was. And it was just amazing that you you seem to be able to make people laugh like that. You know, it is just so natural for you. Well, I mean, I appreciate that. I, I do what I can and I find that the best way to have people accept me when they see me is to have humor because it helps them just 
understand I'm as regular as anybody else. You know, I get a lot of people that'll see me in public and stare. Yes. And if I'm in a place where not everybody knows me, like where I'm at in Maine, it's hard pressed to find somebody that really doesn't know who I am. It's kind of funny because some people know who I am without knowing me. So I was at the pro section one day and a lady was like talking to me and she's like, Oh, do you know my friend Travis Mills? He's a great guy. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. And she goes, no, no, you're not Travis Mills. No way. I, you know, you don't look like him. And I got my ID out of my pocket. I said, no, I, I'm Travis Mills. I'm the guy with no arms, no legs. She goes, oh, you look different than last time we hung out. And I'm like, I, I don't even know you, but okay. <laughs> I'm not offended. Like, at least she's telling my story in a positive way. But uh, do you think there's a, another Travis Mills out there impersonating you? Well, there's another Travis Mills out there that's a rapper from California. Yes. Uh, he's a guy with a bunch of tattoos. And I used to come up on the search engine first, but then he went on the show ridiculousness on MTV. He just let Rob Deerdeck know he owes me one and I'm going to host the show <laughs> because I think my picture pops up first, but his website or maybe it's my website and his picture. We got to fix that. Rob Deerdeck needs to know that he's got to fit me into the show ridiculousness on MTV, which is basically just like, you know, America's finest videos, but on MTV. Speaking of media, uh, wow. Your, your journey, just coming back from where you came from, learning how to walk again, learning how to use prosthetic legs and prosthetic arms and everything else. It was, it was really amazing. And I was touched by the fact that your wife, your various family members were documenting your journey back. And at some point in time, you decided to write a book and then take that footage, stitch it together into a movie. What what made you decide to go so public with your story? Well, I don't have a problem talking about it. I have no issues discussing what happened, my demeanor throughout my recovery, and how I was able to find happiness in my situation. Because like I tell people, I tell jokes when I do motivational speaking, but it's not a facade. It's not me just pretending to act okay. Like I really am okay with everything. I am a happy person. I think it helps people open up because in truth, we all know somebody that's going through something horrible, whether it's cancer, a car accident, suffering from an illness or disease. And if I can shed light on, hey, look, bad things happen to good people. Keep pushing forward. You'll be fine. And everything's going to be okay. And while we're doing this push forward, you know, stuff, why don't you check out my Facebook and Instagram and, and I'll do fun videos with my family and my kids to keep it light for everybody. Because I think the biggest thing that is uh, holding people back is fear. I think fear plays a huge role in people finding success and, and going for something or achieving it, whether it's in a situation like mine where you're injured or something like that, or maybe even in starting a business or taking a leap of faith in a new adventure with your friends or anything that you can think. Of. So for me, I think people see my story, they, they see the videos and they're like, well, geez, if this guy can do it, I mean, why can't I? And it's about finding, you know, my story and then seeing that there is a, a positive ending because so many people have written in to me and, and shared things on social media or email about what they've went through and how my story has helped inspire them or keep them going. And it's truly awesome because I never, I never knew I was going to be that impactful on people. And I never would try to step in and tell some of their situations you know, not as bad as mine. Cause I think we all have problems and, you know, it's just about solutions to get through them. So if, if I'm helping inspire people or push them forward or get them over, you know, the hump that they're in, like, Hey, I'm all about that. Let's just have a good time and go for it. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Cats bring all kinds of joy to your life. They make great companions while you read the newspaper or binge watch your favorite television show. If you're thinking about adopting one, then check out Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Based in Frankenmuth, Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue is a 501c3 nonprofit no-kill cat shelter. Over the last 16 years, they found loving homes for hundreds of homeless kitties. Each cat is fixed, vaccinated, and microchipped before going to their forever home. While waiting for you to adopt one, Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue has a superb all-volunteer staff that loves and cares for each and every cat. To learn how you can support or, even better, adopt one of these cute kitties, visit their website at PetAngelAdoption.com. Once again, that's PetAngelAdoption.com. Their link is in the show notes below. And now, back to the show. Here's something that I've always been wondering. You're, you're basically a kid from the sticks. Then you have this life-altering event. You share your story. Now you're a national figure. What was that transition like for you? Uh, you know, it came pretty gradual. It started with at the hospital. Like, I mean, okay, so let me back up. In the military, people always wonder about my public speaking. Like, they always are. Were you a good public speaker? And I'm like, well, I don't know if I was good at it, but the military, the more rank you got, the more classes you gave. The more classes you gave, the better you had to be because if you were bad or messed up, you get made fun of and razzed. So I got good at not caring what people thought, but also doing presentations. And then at the hospital, when I was injured, I was one of the older guys there, which sounds funny because I was only 25, but a lot of guys get hit are the younger ones. So I was kind of like their, you know, big brother, squad leader, still type person they can lean on and look up to and respect and understand like, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. And it became a trend of, hey, Travis, we got someone upstairs. We can't tell you their name or room number because of HIPAA, but I can tell you they're not in room 40 and they're definitely not in room 42. But if you can find them and I'm like, well, geez. Luckily, I'm not a Marine, so I can count. So I knew where they were. <laughs> you know, because the Marines next door to me are like working out in the MATC or whatever, the military advanced training center. Are like, I don't get it. Does that mean they're in room 57? And I'm like, oh, wow. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm obviously, you know, Marines are fun to pick on because they don't get my jokes. So it doesn't hurt their feelings. But um, <laughs> no. no, so they would tell me, like, hey, this person's up there could use some inspiration. And I had that from Todd Nicely. Todd Nicely was a, a gentleman that or is a gentleman, he's still alive, but he's Marine, retired, second ever quadruple MT. He flew in from Missouri from his house to tell me I'm going to be fine. Walk again, drive again, feed myself again, um, do everything I want to do. And that was really inspirational to me. So I made a point to go to everybody's room. And before you knew it, I had like as much as I think 12 people at one time going with me room to room, whether they were walking on their legs, they were in a wheelchair because they hadn't had their legs yet. Or they were in their short legs with a cane, you know, before they got their tall legs. So, like, all steps and processes of recovery, we would go as be the welcome part. Like, hey, what's up? Welcome. How are you doing? And it wasn't just for them. It was just as impactful for the families. And, you know, that became my, my everyday ritual. I'd work out. Then I'd go to the floor and say hi to people, see if they need anything. And... You know, then it just kind of progressed. Then people from Texas found out about that story, wanted to do a documentary on me. I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And then became good friends with them, did a documentary. And Kelsey and I saw all the love and support from everybody at the you know the hospital, whether it was, you know, nonprofits like Gary Sneeze Foundation, which, you know, built my home, my handicap accessible adapted home, or iPads for troops, right? They have small 
iPads for troops and everybody has their mission or operation hat trick, like to give back and do something great. And Kelsey and I thought, let's do something. So we started a nonprofit and we were just going to do care packages. And, you know, over time and over the years, it's morphed into a, you know, multi-million dollar organization where we bring out people that have been injured from service that has had a physical impact. So paralyzation, amputation, spinal cord injury, and we show them how to do things adaptively with their families. Because my biggest point of recovery was having my daughter who taught me how to walk, right? She says that. Um, we both learn how to walk together, which, like you said, you saw the little homemade videos that we were put in the documentary. Me and her would jump in the, my wheelchair. We'd go room to room, meet people. We'd go to the cafeteria and we'd steal, not steal, but we'd sneak. I should say, because her mom would, I'd give her mom a break, hour, two hour, three hour break, and I'd strap Chloe in and we'd go and either get grapes or we get cookies. And her mom knew what was ever, you know, if we had cookies, it was all over her face and my shorts. But she'd be strapped, buckling in my wheelchair, and we'd go room to room, see how people are doing. And I can recall a time, I, 10 of my guys one day got hit. It was a mass cow, and nine of them survived uh, with injuries, and one died. And that was a month and a half after I got hit. So they got to the hospital slowly but surely. And one of my you know friends was there named Stefan, and Stefan was going to maybe lose a leg. And we have things these guys called squad leaders at Walter Reed, like in, in their nice right? That's their duty assignment. And they try to set up and keep you online and on track and doing the right thing. Make sure you're going to everything you got to go to. Well, Stefan was in the, the gym talking to the pain clinic and they were talking about cutting his knee off. And a knee is a very precious thing. And the squad leader kept calling him and calling him and calling him. And he kept yelling at him. And Stefan was all upset and almost in tears. He was so you know irritated. And I saw him and I said, hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, well, this my squad leader keeps calling blah, 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 and yelling at me. And I got to get this. I might lose my knee. And he says, I got to go over there and take a urinalysis test. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I, I said, call him back. So he calls him back and I got on the phone and, he go, and I said, Hey, this is Sergeant Mills. He goes, well, this is staff Sergeant. I said, let me rephrase that. This is staff Sergeant Mills. And I said, and you better beat me to your first sergeant's office because if you don't beat me there, it's going to be the worst day of your military career you've ever had. And the guy started to say something. I said, no, no, no that's it. I'm hanging up now. And if I get there before you, it's going to be the worst day of your military career, I promise you. And I hung the phone up. And I got to the first sergeant's office before he got there. And I told the first sergeant what's going on. And I'm in a wheelchair, right? And I'm a staff sergeant, but I'm in a wheelchair. And I told him what's going on with, with Stefan, this urinalysis test. I said, look, he's going to test positive for oxycodone. He's on painkillers. What are you testing him for? This is a waste of the military's time and Stefan's time. He might lose his knee. And that, you know, that, sta- that squad leader came in and he started yelling, he goes, this guy right here. And I said, you, I said, you better watch your tone, buddy. And I said, sit down. I said, you work for Stefan as much as you as he does what you ask him to do. I said, and you're telling him to go do this stuff. He might have his knee cut off. Do you know what that's like? No, you don't. I said, so know your role, shut your mouth, and do your job. But understand, at the end of the day, Stefan's not staying in the military, all right? Stefan is getting out. Stefan's going to do great things. And he has a lot going on in his life. So if you can't understand that, then you need to get reassigned somewhere else. And then he went out and his first sergeant locked him up. And I said, I don't, I'm not trying to ruin your career, ruin your day. But if you don't pull your head, you know, out, then obviously there's more choice words. And I have a bit of a temper when it comes to that. I said, we're going to have problems and you don't want to have problems with me. I guarantee it. And then I went out and then the first sergeant talked to him and eventually came up and he apologized to Stefan. Because I think before I left, I said, hey, you need to go and you better apologize to Stefan for what, what you're doing. Because you don't understand the situation the way you should. And I get it's a job. It gets monotonous. You got to do your job and you're getting pressure. But if you don't 
take care of this and we're going to have a problem. So I became kind of that guy. Not like my squad leader's yelling at me because I didn't cut my hair. Like I didn't take care of those problems. I'm like, well, cut your hair. But the bigger problems, you know, I became the guy that would, would go and fix them. And I got kind of on a tangent and I'm sure maybe you have to edit some of the stuff out and I apologize. Don't um, ever apologize. I love I, your stories. Well, I just, I just, you know, it, I became, you know, not only the guy that was missing both arms and legs that worked out the hardest that went to people's rooms that stuck up for the little guy, but also the one that was most, I guess, I don't want to say photogenic, but whenever they had big people come in, they'd ask, you know, Hey, can you come meet this person? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I'd be like, be the face of it. And I remember one time uh, they had Peyton Manning, uh, Josh Freeman. He was a quarterback for the Buccaneers for a while there. Um, a couple other big names. And then they had to come out all the small names. Well, they came through the military advanced training center, which is really just a gym. And everybody's talking to all these superstars. And then they have some people from American Idol. And they're like, hey, Travis, like this guy, he's like one of the top four contestants, I guess, American Idol. No one's talking to him. Can you just go be nice and talk to him? And I was like, yeah, no. So like, here this guy, you know, he's supposed to be like this superstar. No one knows who he is. So I go to talk to him. He's kind of being arrogant. Like, oh, you probably want my autograph. I'm like, no, not really, bud. Just how you doing? <laughs> he said something else where it's just real smug. And I was like, let me tell you something. No one's talking to you. Nobody knows who you are. They asked me over here to come say hi to you and be nice to you to you know, make you feel better about yourself. And then he was like, oh, I said, but I got things to do. So <laughs> said, you just have a good day. Understand that they asked me to come talk to you to make you feel better, not the other way around. And the way you're acting, I, I'm going to leave this conversation now. And I just, I went away. I went, I had an appointment I was going to get to, but yeah, I should have probably been so rude to him, but the way he was acting, I was like, dude, just, you know, you're not, you're not that great. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I don't think I don't put myself on a pedestal, right? I'll, I'm the same person. And, I, and one thing that and this has nothing to do with my recovery, but I'm very proud of my little girl, right? Eight years old now in third grade, Chloe Lynn. When she goes to school, she's, she's just as nice to the principal as she is to the custodians. She makes a, uh, a Valentine's Day card for Mr. Williams, the custodian. She says hi to him. And, and that, that, you know, that hits me because. That's who I want my daughter to be. That's who I am. I'll talk to anybody about anything for like any amount of time, you know, within reason. I'm not going to have conversations about like, like I won't get into like uh, conspiracy theories or anything like that. But, um, you know, I'm the nicest. I'll say hi to anybody, you know, walking to Sam's Club the other day. I talked to everybody. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? And I don't care. Like status means nothing to me. Right. I don't get starstruck. Uh, I, I appreciate people's accolades and what they've done. But at the same time. I, I'm not going to put you on a pedestal and, and treat you any better than I'm going to treat anybody else. And, you know, at the end of the day, my mom ran Wingert's. She was a general manager over there at Wingert's in Mayville. And my dad worked for um, uh, Nash Finch. He was a truck driver and a maintenance guy and he worked his butt off and it, they made a very, very good living, but they taught me everybody the same. So, you know, the fact that my daughter does the same thing just means a lot to me. And I think that has something to do with the Michigan culture. I've, you know, I've lived in a number of States other than Michigan and the people here, they just, they just seem to be the most friendly, the most outgoing. And uh, it's like you said, you know, you, you run across a lot of people that treat everybody the same. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I, going back to high school, I, you know, I talked to the principal, Mr. Voino, great guy, Mr. Levier, the vice principal football coach. But I also knew, you know, Randy and Bob and, and, and all of the, the, the janitors, if you will. And, and 
you know, it, it was cool because Randy had triplets that went to school that were two years younger than me. So I, I knew his kids and, and, um, the cat, the guy, Mike has, um, he was a stepson to, 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 um, Bob, but he was in the Marines as well. So you're right. It's, it's tight knit community. It's, it's how it, it all shakes out. I just think sometimes people might get lost in their title. Like the guy from American Idol who I, I couldn't tell his name, what song he sang. And I could care less about him being, you know, 15 minutes of fame going on. With this new journey that you're on, you're you're out there giving speeches, you're giving talks, you're appearing on television shows, and I know that you've met some really incredible people out there. Is there someone that you've met on this new journey that has just really inspired you? Oh, I'll tell you what, I've got starstruck twice in my life, and I'll be 100% honest with you. Matter of fact, even though it's not possible, 110%. I was at the Little Caesars uh, bowl game, and they had me do the coin flip. So I did the coin flip. It was a very cool honor. And I was with the Illage family in their suite, the Illages, the, the Little Caesars and Tigers and that. And lo and behold, there's a guy standing there, none other than Lloyd Carr. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I bumbled and stumbled in my words. I told him, Coach Carr, when they let you go from the Wolverines, I almost switched to being a Spartan fan because I thought it was so ridiculous. And he looked at me and said, don't you ever say that. And I was like a little kid getting yelled at by – like my dad, like a mentor. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to play for you my whole life. I apologize. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just felt like such a little, like a little, like, uh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to make you mad at me. I know you're disappointed now. I just want to be your friend. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It was pretty cool to meet Lloyd Carr because I always wanted to play for him and things like that. That's where you grow up, you know, hoping and wishing you're going to do. Um, and then, and then the first time I met, uh, President Bush Jr., right? 43. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 43. I I walk into his office at SMU, and there he is standing like a wax figure. And I walk up, and he goes, hey, man. He goes, come on in, Big T. And I'm like, <laughs> I took his hand, and I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so nervous right now. I could pee. And he goes, well, the bathroom's around back. I'm like, no, I don't have to, sir. I'm just saying I could. You know what? This is getting awkward. May I just please sit down? He goes, yeah, come on in. So I sit down, him, my wife, and, and Chloe, and we're having a great conversation, me and him. And I told him how my hand works, and I, I – Spinning in a circle or whatever, and he, my daughter's running back and forth with his secretary, Logan, like coloring pictures and stuff. <laughs> I uh, I go to leave, and we get in the elevator, and I, I call my best friend, TJ, later on that night. And my best friend still lives in Michigan, TJ Schieffer, let the world know. Great guy, works in Claire at the hospital, just had a baby. But I call TJ Schieffer, and I say, oh, my gosh, dude, I met the president today. You know, obviously, former president today. And <laughs> I said, first thing I did, I, I walked up to him. I goes, oh, my gosh, I'm so nervous I could pee right now. And he goes, you Forrest Gump, the president? <laughs> and I, I, said, well, I, I guess I did. He goes, yeah, you know, Forrest Gump, first thing he said is he had to pee because he drank too many Dr. Peppers. I said, I didn't even try to do that to be funny. But yeah, <laughs> so, I've, I've, you know, I've had conversations with, with uh, Junior since. Um, great guy. His 43 Foundation partners with my foundation on uh, some ventures. And I used to get phone calls from Babs and Georgie. And they'd ask me to go to events. That's, you know, Barbara Bush and George Bush Sr., whatever. No big deal. I just know them. But <laughs> anyway, so those are kind of the two people I really got starstruck at. And, you know, it's funny. I'm a motivational speaker and I go all around. And I spoke at an event in Central Michigan when I was first getting started. And I made a joke in front of the president. And my dad gets so nervous when I speak. <laughs> my dad, <laughs> the, the president of the college, his hand goes, uh, I'm sorry, sir. He didn't mean that. I said, dad, you can't say that. Like, <laughs> this, this is my profession. I, I can say that. He goes, you, you can't say that. He's the president of the, uh, the, the college. And I was like, well, 
you got a point. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but but now it's um it's pretty cool. And and you know I I found since my injury I'm quite the entrepreneur mindset. So not only do I do the, the public speaking, um, which was on track to have my record setting year this year until this whole Corona stuff, because the first 90 days I was gone 60 of them, but now I've been canceled out through June. I was supposed to go to Alaska and Dallas and Villanova University and um, colleges and in, in, in um, companies like Wayfair and Lockheed Martin just hit me up. I think we're getting that deal done for November, which is awesome. As long as this stuff slows down with what's going on in the nation. But I also, I have a neighbor and let me tell you a quick story about that. My neighbor and I, first time I met him, we went shopping for, for some rifles and we went to the store and I tell you what, I wasn't clear to buy a gun that day. Neither was he, but I looked at him and said, I'll buy one. If you buy one, he said, funny thing is I was going to say the same thing. So I'll buy one. If you buy one. So we bought these guns and we got grounded from our wives for, or, or by our wives, for, you know, from each other for two weeks. Can you believe it? And on this two weeks of being grounded, I went down to get gas on my boat at the Marina. That's locally on the lake that I live near. And the owner was like, hey, Travis, you should buy this place. And I said, why would I do that? And he said, well, come look at the P&Ls. And I said, I don't know what that means, but okay. And I told him, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any idea. And I told my neighbor I had to look at the P&Ls. He goes, oh, profit and loss statements. I said, yeah, yeah, whatever that means. So I took him down there. And me and him got talking and looking at the numbers. We thought, this would be a pretty cool adventure. I convinced my parents that I was going to do this if they would come work for me. So my mom was going to quit her job, retire. My dad was already in retirement, so they were going to come run this. My wife and his wife said, don't you guys do this. So we drank whiskey one night and signed the dotted line. <laughs> okay, I'll get you in trouble quick. But So I bought a marina, which has like 40 rooms and cabins and cottages. And my mom and dad came and ran it for a couple of years for me, which is pretty nice of them. And then I also am a part owner of an insurance company now. And I, I own an old barn that a lady sells antiques out of that. Um, we'll see what happens in the future. But it might be pretty pretty awesome what's coming out if everything goes right way by next June. So, you know, I keep, I keep buying businesses and, and doing things like that, as well as uh, the nonprofit keeps growing and growing and we keep servicing families. And I know I'm supposed to put plugs in for like travismillsfoundation.org, but I'll let you do that. Oh, wink, I just did it. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's all great testament to coming down and realizing we live in the greatest nation in the world and we're able to lose our arms and legs even and still, thrive and be, you know, prosperous if, if you really have the hunger and the desire and the drive to do it. Amen to that, brother. Greatest country in the world. It sounds like you're playing real life monopoly there. Why don't you share with us what a typical day looks like for you? Well, before this whole thing kicked off, a typical day was, you know, I'd wake up, get breakfast with my daughter, my wife. I have a son too. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. He's two and a half. I usually say that for the end of my presentations. I have a joke about it, but my wife says we're done now and I'm fine with that. But uh, I have a son named Dax, which is D-A-X, because the medics were Daniel and Alexander. So he's named after those two, which is exciting. But, you know, my, my daughter wakes up first with me and we'll hang out, have breakfast. My wife and my son come down and usually I'll you know, get my shower in, take Chloe, drop her off at school. And then I'll either run down to the marina and check in, run to the foundation office and check in or, uh, you know, one or the other. But normally I hit both of them, you know, and then go about different meetings, conference calls, stuff going on, even though this whole... Corona thing's going on. We still have a cafe we're putting in. We got approved to put a cafe in at the marina. So we're the only place on the water that's going to have food and ice cream, which is exciting. I have six cottages that we're subdividing off in a condo association and selling those, which is another exciting thing. And uh, I travel a lot. So I'm on the road 
130 days out of the year at different engagements, speaking and presenting. So, you know, I don't know. It's it, it, it varies, which is exciting, but it's it's a good time. And, and I'm thankful that I get to put my legs on and jump in my truck, drive my truck like everybody else with my feet or one foot, right foot and go about my day. I need to work out more. If, and I think that's what my wife's uh, gearing up for. If we're going to be stuck in the house for a month, she's uh, she's told me I can't just sit around and eat food because apparently I'm not hungry. I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a, I got a, I got a Traeger smoker, like a Traeger um, smoker. I went to the I've been looking at it for like two years and finally I pulled the trigger. I said, I'm buying it. I didn't tell my wife until I got home, of course, because that's a smart thing to do. And yesterday I made these chicken thighs and I put, oh, they were so good. So, you know, and then I think I'm supposed to smoke something else t- tomorrow. I don't know. It, it's, it's pretty boring, simple, every day's changing stuff. I'm sorry if I was, I was supposed to maybe say something like, oh, well, I'm going to go to the moon, you know, but. Well, to tell you the truth, it wouldn't surprise me if you went to the moon. I tell you what, I'm gonna go shark diving. That's my next big like adventurous thing I want to do. I want to go cage diving with great white sharks. I'm so deathly afraid of them that I want to just face them in a cage. I actually did that off the coast of San Diego. I, I went swimming with the sharks. It's not anything like you are talking about, where you're in a cage. There's great whites. They're sprinkling blood in the water and yeah. stuff just to get them to come into the cage. Yeah, no, I want that, and I think I want it because they can't really bite my arms and legs off. So anything they get me with is going to be like fatal, right? I'm not like, oh, they're going to bite my arm off, and I'm just going to really be painful. Like, no, no, if they get me, they're definitely just it's it's over. It's curtains for me, so I don't got to worry about like the recovery time. <laughs> again, I get hit by a bomb thinking it was curtains and here I am. So I guess doctors are amazing. Medical stuff advancements is amazing. So let's just not find out is the end of the end of this story. <laughs> let's not get bit by So you're done pushing the boundaries for now? <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying I'm not gonna get bit. I'm definitely I'm definitely gonna go cage diving. Sweet. You're gonna love it. I've got my producer Miranda sitting here and she'd like to ask you a question. Absolutely. Is there an interesting fact that most people may not know about you that you'd like to share with us? Well, you know, a lot of people don't realize I'm like a, t- uh, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know? <laughs> um, no, think about it. Like, I'm a carnivore, right? That's never going to change. Um, I have short arms, and if I fall over, it's very hard to get up. But, so, <laughs> no, nobody? <laughs> not Bueller? I thought I'd get more laughs out of you guys. Anyway, um... I don't know. I, I really enjoy music. I don't think people realize I really enjoy all different kinds of music and I'm not a good singer, but I'm not a bad singer. So no one's ever seen me singing in public, but I enjoy that. Um, but not really. I'm kind of like, I think I'm, I overshare everything to the point where my wife's like, you know, you probably don't have to tell people everything. <laughs> but, uh, like tonight I'm going to go on Instagram live and I'm going to tell a story about last night, how the power went out. And I slept in the basement last night because I had to charge my wheelchair. And the night before that, I have a horrible sleeping schedule. Like, I'll go to sleep. But if I wake up in the middle of the night for anything, I'm usually up for a couple hours. And I made them, and I've been home recently. So, like, it's been a lot worse on my wife. Uh, I woke up at three when my son came down from his room to climb into our bed. And the fireplace was on. I could see it down the hallway downstairs. So, like, I got out of bed and like, that shouldn't be on, you know, it's a propane fireplace or whatever, natural, I don't know, I think it's propane. Anyway, so I got in the elevator and because I have to have an elevator, my wheelchair doesn't go downstairs. I'm not, I, I've tried that the hard time, I'm kidding, I didn't. But and I <laughs> fireplace off and it kept turning back on. So I'm like hitting the lights and turning it, making a lot of noise. And I guess I woke her up during that. And then I went to the living room, which is right below our bedroom. And I watched the rest of Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner. Because I mean, who has yeah. a great Western? 
But did you know that the gunfight scenes and everything like that get louder? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so like, anyway, she came down pretty, pretty upset with me when we got better throughout the day. And of course we watched our TV show Outlander last night. And at 10 o'clock I said, Hey, I'm going to sleep in the basement. So I had to charge my wheelchair up and that way I'll be quiet. And I promise I won't wake you up tonight. Well, at three o'clock our power goes out and she comes downstairs and to tell me, and it's all black in my house. The generator didn't kick on for some reason. So I got to figure that out today, but she's standing at the edge of this bed and she's talking to me and it looks like the silhouette from the lady from the grudge. And I'm like, that's creepy. And then, Ooh. yeah. And then I got to put my short legs on. So I got to like get my arm on, which I got to take off, you know, put my arm on, get my arm on, get it working, get my legs on. And by the time I get that going, like it takes probably like, I don't know, 30 to 30 seconds to a minute. I walk out from the bedroom and she's gone. And it's all dark. And I'm like, oh, what the heck? That's creepy. Like, so then I go back and lay in my bed. And all I can think about is that lady from the grudge going to creep out of my closet. <laughs> cracked open. And I'm like, this is just for, for 20 minutes. I'm sitting there going, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't want me to share the fact that she was so upset with me yesterday that I decided to sleep in the basement. Because it was it was a choice of my own. It wasn't her choice to like, you're not sleeping here tonight. But, <laughs> but right. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm not like a secretive Lions fan. I'm just a like, you know, diehard Lions fan where I'm like, if they lose, I'm like, well, we figured that was going to happen. Yeah, it's pretty predictable. Yeah. But, but no, I, I mean, I, I enjoy, I enjoy smoking meat, eating beef jerky. I like music, mostly country, but everything goes. I think in a, you know, in a, if I had the chance, I might be a music producer because a lot of times I can hear stuff on the radio and I'd be like, oh, that's going to be a big song. And I'm usually right, you know, because it's on the top you know, 40 count now at number one. I'm like, that's going to be a big song. And it's usually number one, you know, that day. Now that joke didn't land. Never mind. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm working on stuff. But uh, no, besides for that, I mean, yeah, love my family. Proud to be from Michigan. And there's always two life lessons I like to tell the crowd that I think might resonate well with, with, um, with your leadership podcast here. And the number one thing I tell the crowd is, you know what? Don't dwell on the past. Just reminisce it. Right. I used to right. sit and close my eyes and hope and wish and pray this never happened. And no matter how many times I did that, I always opened my eyes and it was so much situation. So instead of dwelling on the fact that I had no arms and legs and I was injured, I just reminisced 25 years that I had with arms and legs. And I, you know, had pretty amazing. I've, I've had eight years that have been pretty incredible as well, if you think about it. So I don't dwell on what happened. I just reminisce and have a good time, look to the future. And then the next thing I tell the crowd that I speak to and I, I live by is, you know, you can't always control your situation but you can always control your attitude. And um, my situation every day, I wake up with norm, no legs on, but I'm able to jump my wheelchair, go down with my daughter, have my wife and son come down and go about my day. And I mean, I'm not tooting my own horn because we're not profitable. I mean, we are profitable, but I'm not taking money back. We have a six year plan. So I own four businesses and, and uh, my nonprofit's doing very well and we're helping, you know, thousands of people a year. So it's, it's really exciting stuff. Speaking of Forrest Gump, you have your Memorial Day 5K in Vassar coming up, right? Oh, you know it. I was going to mention that. Uh, if everyone wants to come out to the Vassar, May 23rd right now is is planned. That's the plan going forward, but we'll make a decision May 1st um, if we have to uh, reschedule or push it back due to everything going on. But as of right now, I will be there Saturday, May 23rd. I will not be running. I will be wearing a nice polo nice shorts and I'll be taking pictures with everybody because uh why well, I, I just straight up don't want to run. And I know it sounds crazy, 
And then, uh, I'll probably hang out that day and then I have a flight Sunday morning because I have a 5K in Augusta on Monday morning. Dude, you certainly are busy. Now, just to let you know that I successfully ran my first 5K in training. And so yours is the first 5K that I'm actually going to run in, registered to run. Nice. Well, look, I'm looking forward to you being there and I'm going to root you on. I mean, I'm not, look, this isn't a golf tournament where I heckle people (laughs) I encourage everybody. When I go to these golf permit fundraisers, I'm the first one yelling at them in their backswing, you know, asking why their, their hit went to right way so far to the left. Did they mean to do that? You know, but five K's I'm like, Hey guys, you big bunch of champions. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Let's go have fun today. Having fun is what it's all about. I remember when I saw this posted on Facebook and of course I immediately went over registered for the five K and I was thinking, you know what? This is perfect because I have this goal of running and participating in 5Ks to help raise money for these different charities. And, you know, like I said, I heard your story on TV. It really motivated me to do this. So now that I can actually see the road, it's not covered under two inches of ice, but it's still early, but I'll be out there running a lot more. So I will not embarrass you. I won't let you down. Oh, never, never an embarrassment. Champion like you? No way you could, <laughs> but I appreciate uh, the opportunity to, you know, help inspire people. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's cool that you decided to run it. I I know you probably have other reasons that just like, well, you know, Travis Mills put a 5k on, so I'm gonna go run that. But um wanting to get back and help and, and do do the, the right thing like that is awesome. But also just making that, you know, huge step forward, like, you know what, I'm going to practice too. Because we just got hit with uh, six inches of snow or eight inches last night, which is very exciting for me, because my wife was making me walk up and down the driveway, you know, like for exercise, I can't now. Finally got the day. Nah, she has a treadmill too. I got to jump on that soon. Nice. Uh, Man, I'm always bummed at this part of the interview because I know it's drawing to a close. If anybody in the audience wants to connect with you, you know, follow your adventures online. What is the best way for them to connect with you? Well, thanks for doing that, you champion. And I'm not trying to end the interview, but also I should say that travismills.org um, if you click like get connected, you'll get my info at travismills.org email, which goes to me and a couple other people that help me, you know, go through everything and, and read them, uh, as well as at SSG Travis Mills for Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. I do some fun things and I'm just excited that everybody is listening to your podcast and helping you push the mission forward because you know what? This is quality and not because I'm on it. I'm saying your quality. It's been a fun day and you're a champion. Uh, I think I'm blushing. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to do that, but I'm glad that I'm glad you felt that's good. You felt I'll send the check tomorrow. Nailed it. I, uh, I was talking about, yeah, uh, you know, you're in Reese, you know, the heck family. Actually, to tell you the truth, I have been trying to get them on the podcast as well. Oh, you got to get them. Which ones? Which heck family? You talking about the sweet corn? Yeah, Sweet Corn, uh, Janet Hecht, uh, my fiance is the one who, she was the one that actually said that I need to get the Hex on the podcast. But, you know, with everything that's going on right now, and I know that they're older, they're probably in their 70s, maybe even 80s, nobody, and I mean yeah. nobody, is going anywhere. And I don't want to ask them to learn technology to do an interview on the internet. So I'll just have to wait till the plague goes by first. I know. Well, that was my first job. My first job that I didn't work for my parents. 
you know, around the house and stuff like that. And my dad's garden, I worked for Hex Sweetcorn. Great people. But part of their family, uh, my buddy Mike Hecht, who I grew up with, good friends. I talked to him last night. And I said, oh, shooting pain in my leg. I, I was FaceTiming him. And he goes, in your leg? I'm like, yeah, I still got a leg, you jerk. But, you know, he, he we're anyway, I'm just saying because Reese and where he lives at is real close. He's from Vassar. But whatever. Anyway. Anyway, hey, look, I'm starting to ramble. I apologize. I do appreciate your time, and I'll let you get back to your your day. But you two have been just phenomenal. And I've told, actually, I think two or three stories I've never told in an interview setting today with you. So good job making me feel that comfortable. (laughs) Man, that's awesome, brother. And I really do appreciate you carving time out because, like I said, you're you're a national figure, and I'm just so pleased that I was able to get so much of your time today for you to come and share your story with us. So thank you. Just thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for inspiring so many people, myself included. And I'm sorry, I guess I did go fanboy on you after all. But, you know, like I said before, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, sir. No, I appreciate you. Have a great day, and thanks again for your time. Hey, everyone. Just a quick editor's note. The Memorial Day 5K was rescheduled to August 9th. Visit travismillsfoundation.org for more details. Hey everyone, before you go, if you want to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox, then come over to callofleadership.com and sign up for our free email newsletter that includes all kinds of goodies. I'll catch you in the next episode.